Hey there Habs fans, Habs maniacs, Habs lunatics out there in Habs land. Welcome to the third episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? A podcast series that will hopefully try to illuminate, examine, and potentially identify some of the key reasons why the Montreal Canadiens the most storied franchise in the history of hockey, have been a dumpster fire of an organization for the past 26 years. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the Habs media. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So uh, sit back, pour yourselves a coffee, or whatever else you drink to relax and I'll be back in a couple of minutes with what the fuck is wrong with the Habs During the first 95 years of its history, the Canadians respected their French-Canadian customers, as we were called at the time. In recent years, the contempt is obvious. The Yahoo's of Robert Val, Rimouski and Roy and Oranda can't comprehend their favorite players. They just can't buy the crap the team is selling at three times its value. Pierre Boivin and Ray Lalonde made the decision. I hope the Molson brothers can read and count. They should be aware of the names Lapierre, La Tendresse, and Larac, and take into account that there are only three of them. These sons of a great Quebec family should understand that they own a very ordinary team that boasts of no more than two and a half frogs since Big George only appears in about 40 games a year. I spent the summer traveling the backwoods of Quebec. I visited Abitibi, the Saguenay, Lac-Saint-Jean, and the Outaouais regions. I can reassure the Molson brothers that Quebecers still love the Canadiens, but they are troubled. Some are angry, and above all, they don't understand why this eradication of francophones from their team? Why get rid of them? Why so little effort to cultivate the soil of Quebec to find young players who could represent the next generation? Why this abominable behavior by the Canadian towards francophone coaches that has seen them literally banned to positions in Hamilton? Coincidentally, ever since the team was put up for sale this summer, Bob Ganey seems to have rediscovered some frogs in his organization. The Molson brothers are not obliged to turn to Quebecers for political reasons, not even for cultural reasons. But they should take advantage of the unique situation of Montreal and Quebec in North America to give the fans a great team. Only Quebec and Montreal can build a team by using the special relationship between fans and players who are part of the same nation. <laughs> 
The situation exists nowhere else. There is no Swedish nation in the Detroit area or a Cuban nation in Sunrise, Florida. The clientele of the team is French-Canadian and the history of the team is based on that sacred bond. The history of the organization has proved that the Canadians succeed when team officials use the synergy between the Francophone majority and its players. This is the English translation of a French article written by Réjean Tremblay on September 10th, 2009, as Molson was about to take over as owner. It was kind of like foreshadowing, a little window dressing, a little welcome, but be aware kind of message for Jeff Molson. Réjean Tremblay, for those not aware, and um, if this podcast is being heard by people who don't live in Quebec or just Habs fans but are not really aware of the reality of what playing hockey in Quebec means, Réjean Tremblay is one of the most influential, uh, I wouldn't say sports writers, but definitely Montreal Canadiens writers in the province of Quebec. He's the, the guy that writes about the Canadians for the Journal de Montréal, which is by far the biggest uh, newspaper in Montreal. It's it's kind of like a tabloid. Kind of uh, the best, I think, equivalent will be the New York Post in New York. It's kind of trashy, kind of um, trying to rile up, uh, you know, senses and sensibilities to sell papers and to uh, sell causes. And Réjean Tremblay, in my opinion, is the grandfather of the cause. You know, he's been there forever. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's the guy who's keeping an eye on things, as they say. John Tromblay's uh, big uh, point in that article was that there's not enough Francophone players in the Montreal Canadiens. This argument, this fallacy of an argument, has been floating around now for my whole life. Growing up in Montreal, in the late 70s, we never heard that because... There was obviously a lot of French players on the team and a lot of great French players on the team. My heroes were on that team. Guy Lafleur, Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe. In 2009, the Montreal Canadiens had three Francophone players on the team. I think at the time it was La Tendresse, Georges Larac, and I don't remember the third one, to be honest. Eleven years later, 2020, the Montreal Canadiens roster consists of Victor Mete, 
a bottom pairing defenseman, who, in my opinion, should be playing in Laval, playing a lot of minutes. But in Montreal, we don't have a lot of talent, so we have to for we're kind of forced to play the young kids a little bit before they're ready to play the young kids. So it's Victor Mete, Jonathan Duguay, who's injured, and、uh, Philip Dano. So, eleven years of Rajon Tremblay yelling and、uh, reminding everybody how there's not enough French players on the Montreal Canadiens. The Montreal Canadiens have the, the exact same number of French players on the team, three. But what's different is Rajon Tremblay hasn't written these kind of articles in a while. Why is that? I don't know. You'd figure somebody who has been on this crusade, and let's not kid ourselves. That's exactly what it is. It's a linguistic, cultural crusade for his whole journalistic career. All of a sudden, it's kind of quiet. To the low number of francophone players on the team, curiosity. I wonder why that is. To be honest, once in a while during the press conferences at the beginning of the year, there's at least one or two French、uh, reporters who ask、uh, the general manager at the time, you know, is he making an extra? Focus, attention towards the Quebec market to make sure that、uh, you know they're drafting more francophone players. And the general manager says the exact same thing every single year. You know, we obviously you know do our diligence in our own backyard. So, kind of begs the question: Why would somebody who's been railing? On this fence post, for so many years, kind of become quiet towards it. And in my opinion, I'll tell you why the reason is. Because the smart people in Quebec, the smart writers, the smart journalists, the smart media people, they've kind of understood within the last fifteen, twenty years that hockey. Hockey in Quebec, Quebec, and the world have all changed. The days of、um, a few provinces in Canada and some northern parts of states in America playing hockey and producing talent for the National Hockey League are over. You got hockey players coming from everywhere. Coming from Finland and Sweden, and,、uh, Russia and Czechoslovakia, and all parts of America, coming from Arizona. So they understood that. They've kind of realized that. And、um, I think one of the reasons why they don't talk about the low number of francophones on the team is because they've transitioned to an even more important part. Of the team, 
if we can't have a lot of francophones on the team we'll make sure that the fact the francophone representation is within management here we are in 2020 um i've lived almost half a century and i could pretty much guarantee on this day to whoever is listening to this podcast that at no time in the future at least in my limited future coming up will we ever see a non-francophone coach and general manager for the Montreal Canadiens now nobody's going to talk about this nobody's going to write about this we've all kind of adapted and you know been i don't want to use a word of condition because it sounds like it's negative i think we've all accepted the reality of the situation but as a franchise a professional sports franchise when you've kind of created that cultural linguistic limitation for yourself within an industry that doesn't play by the same rules you know the Winnipeg Jets they don't care where their GM is from they don't care where their coach is from they're just trying to build a team and they'll hire the best person available who's willing to come to Winnipeg and build that team in Montreal we've uh, crossed the Rubicon as they say we're in a different uh, a different environment now we're in a world where how good the team is on the ice is inconsequential to french management running things all right uh, 8030551888552550 those are the numbers dwayne is going to lead us off this segment hi dwayne thanks for calling you're on the air hey thanks bulldog thanks guys uh if you just give me a, a few like a minute here just to like, I'll, i'll try and organize my thoughts as best i can i'm just you know I've, you know, I've, the 24 years they've been in that arena, I think in some form of capacity, I've been a season ticket holder for about 15 of those years. You know, I started, my first hockey card was Brad May. My first jersey was Pat LaFontaine. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. I, you know, I work for Hasek Foundation now as, as, as a coach. And, you know, I, my life in hockey has been, It started because of Sabres hockey. You know, I, I went to the finals games as a kid with my dad. I watched Jeff Sanderson score with one arm around Eddie, on <laughs> Ed Belfour. You know, I have so many yep. great moments to talk about with this hockey team. And, like, I, I just – I'm surprised the organization remembered to wish Dominic Kaczyk a happy birthday today. I'll put it that way. I just it, – it's so mind-boggling how we've fallen this far. And, like – I don't need I, I I was cautiously optimistic coming into the season because I wasn't fully expecting playoffs 
but I was happy with the way the season started because the competitiveness was there. Last year was misery 100% after the 10-game streak. It was absolute misery because the competitiveness, the passion was not there. And it's been there. And then they go out and lay an egg last night in front of me. I was, of course, I was at the game. First time I went to a game with my sister, by the way, and she had to sit there through that. And it's just it's mind-blowing. Like, I, I don't need a Jerry Jones type of owner. Like, I need an owner who's going to answer the fans when they misspell names on jerseys and have Chinese knockoffs on alumni. Like, what is going on? Like, what are we doing? Like, I don't understand it, man. Like, Bulldog, you, you've lived through this. You've seen it. Like, have you ever been, like, have they ever sucked a passion out of you like they have me? I've dedicated my life to hockey because of this team. Like, I can't do it anymore, man. Like, like, I'm seriously, for the first time, considering just not being a season ticket holder this year. Like, we're, like I, I, even when the team was terrible, Ted Black would come on the station and talk to fans and address concerns. I don't need the, the, the I don't need a damn camera in front of Terry Pagula every single day, but address our concerns. Be there when, when you screw up. Answer for the mistakes. Be accountable. You know, this, like Pella Fontaine had been forced out of the out of the organization. You know, five years ago, how long it was? Like, I don't need an explanation, but it's just been mediocrity. It's it's almost worse than the Bills drought. Like, like, and you know what? As, as I don't know what people's opinions of the man were. You know, with Russ Brandon, but if Russ Brandon was running the team still, I highly doubt he would have allowed Chinese knockoff jerseys to be worn by Danny Garrett at Turkey Drive. I would have got on the ice, the goat head, missing deadlines. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is it? Like, I, 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 do, I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years and just don't hold yourself accountable, go hide in your house in Florida. Like, what is this? Get in front of the camera and at least make us feel that we, that we matter. That we matter to you. Like, I'm sick of it, Bulldog. I'm sick of it. I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Caller Dwayne, as he's become to known, has become a sensation the last couple of weeks. Because that little rant of his on Buffalo Radio was impassioned fiery but most of all it represented what a lot of people in Buffalo felt and if you listen to it carefully the things that were said pretty much everything applies to Montreal the exact same stuff Montreal Canadians are heading towards their third straight year of no playoff hockey. This year, looks like we're going to be eliminated mathematically a little bit faster than usual. But uh, the owner is nowhere to be seen. And when he is seen, he's usually surrounded by the the business aspect of uh, running a professional sports franchise, you know. The, the upper echelon kind of stuff, you know. 
loges and PR shuffles and stuff like that. And he announced that um, there's going to be no uh, real management shuffles with the Montreal Canadiens. Doesn't seem to uh, notice any kind of problem. You figure um, the media would be a little bit more aggressive towards Jeff Molson being more available, more transparent, more um, accountable to the fans. But um, they don't seem to say much. Jeff Molson goes on Twitter and uh, picks a few questions from fans. And uh, he sits in his office with uh, a camera pointing at him. And he practices, you know, in front of the camera. And he, uh, you know, answers the questions. And he, Mochokadena's social media department posts it on YouTube. So, the media here, kind of having a different agenda, have kind of lost their way when it comes to um, the watchdog, the the eye in the sky of what's happening to a professional sports franchise. If you tune in to post-game radio. I'm going to concentrate more on the English part because that's what most, mostly what I listen to. But I've listened to French parts too. If you listen to the English part, post-game radio, of a team that's about to miss the playoffs for a third year in a row, fourth in the last five years, two playoff wins in five years. You, you never really sense any, any desperation or anger from the fans there's no real Dwayne calling uh, TSN 690 inventing and kind of question why that is there's no more passionate of sports base uh, no more passionate of fan base no more passionate no more rabid no more invested in the Montreal Canadiens fan base so why is it that you know People are calling in to the radio station, people that watch the games, fans of the team, and it's kind of, you know, I think that fourth line guy, you know, should be moved to the third line, or that third line guy should be moved to the fourth line, or there's no real, you know, gravitas to the moment, as they say. You know, if it's raining outside, Don't come pee on my leg and tell me that's the rain hitting me. I know the difference. I don't know if I said that correctly, but you know what I mean. And uh, as a person who's listened for a while, you kind of understand why you don't get that kind of heated, impassioned Montreal fan you know, moments on the radio. It's because they don't want to have those moments on the radio. The English um, 
Habs um, Media Center in Montreal. And God bless their souls. I totally understand why. English is a very small market. And um, in Montreal, the audience is not big. The, the operating budget is not big. TSN 690, they go from four guys in the morning to two guys in the morning. Always the same guys there. And I love all those guys. If you listen to them, they all sound like great, great people. Guys you want to hang out with and go play baseball and, you know, have a beer, you know, stuff your face with some uh, spare ribs. You know, those kind of guys. But I think because of the reality of the situation where they work at, a lot of them kind of like, let's not say too much. Let's keep it on the light side. And uh, that's fine. Totally understand why. But as an entertainment thing, as a representative thing towards a sports team, you know, because if, if it's snowing outside and you tune on to the weather department and they tell you, you know, it's sunny and 48 degrees outside, put on your swimwear, people, time to go for a dip. There's, there's a disconnect there. Something doesn't make sense, you know. There's, uh, it's not jiving, you know, and it affects the ratings. And I think one of the things that happens when you constantly have that kind of thing happening is people are drawn away. And the truth is, I haven't listened to TSN 690 for a long time because I know that after another, you know, loss at home, and for God's sakes, people, this team is, they've won 11 out of 29 games at home, the Montreal Canadiens. The most storied franchise in the history of hockey. Oh my God. Can we go back to the forum? Can we do that? Can we take the Bell Center and just plop it on top of the forum? That location, that piece of land? I'm kind of semi-serious, you know? And we're not even talking about that. We're just talking about, you know, a lot of things other than the things that we should be talking about. If you truly want your your team to succeed, you know, and um, it's not the greatest thing in the world. It's not the worst thing in the world. But uh, it is what it is. And I'll be back in a couple of seconds with some more thoughts. Now, it's not all doom and gloom on the Habs landscape, the media landscape. Because of the internet, because of the digital technology, there's a lot of people now that have the ability to express themselves when it comes to uh, the Montreal Canadiens. And that's a truly wonderful thing. For example, the Habs on the prize They have a terrific podcast, manned by uh, Patrick Baxell, and he's a contributing editor based in Europe. So his perspective 
is a little bit different, a little more unique, and really enjoyable to listen to. They talk about all aspects of the Habs uh, organization, the young players, young players playing in, uh, in Europe, um, how they're progressing, and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's really uh, interesting to listen to, and I highly, highly, highly suggest it. There's, there's obviously a whole bunch of other stuff. Not all of it is great. Some of it tends to be a little bit too rah-rah, too uh, cheerleader, too, a little bit too young. You know, people that are kind of connected to the team, like a pet, you know. If anybody says anything negative about it, it's like you're talking, you know, bad about, you know, their favorite cat you know, or something. One of the worst is uh, is Reddit, the Habs uh, subreddit. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if you're one of those cheerleader types, if you're one of those supreme, you know, followers or leaders of the fanboy movement, uh, the Habs subreddit is for you. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Occasionally, they have some decent stuff that's there. But if you go on there and you try to post some sort of conversation about, uh, you know, the management, the current management, and uh, you post that conversation in uh, possibly not the brightest of light, yeah, forget about it. There's no conversation to be had. It's, uh, it's, it's an absolute uh, fanboy zone. And that's okay. I mean, if if that's the form of entertainment uh, some people like, that's great too. But there, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's um, there's YouTube accounts that focus predominantly on the Habs. I don't know them off by heart, but if you if you search Habs uh, podcast on YouTube, you'll find some. And there's some good ones. They tend to be more on the positive side, only talk about the positive aspects of the team. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what... Um, motivates them if that's what gives them the energy to do it that's great at least there's a different perspective out there there's different voices out there to be heard which is kind of cool um, and uh, the beauty about the internet because it's not really it doesn't cost that much besides a little bit of information a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of time there's always going to be new people coming aboard and that's the cool thing Maybe one day the Habs fan base will have a Steve Dangle of our own. Some crazy, uh, impassioned, uh, lunatic, crazy, wonderful kind of, you know, fan that it entertains us, you know. So, um, it's not all bad, you know. There's some good stuff out there. There's some good writers out there. I'm not going to say there's no good writers out there. That's ridiculous, you know. Um. Arpen Basu is a terrific writer. Um, I had a conversation with him recently on Twitter because I posted um, I posted a question on Twitter, which was basically connected to this podcast, and it was uh, the wording was um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was uh, who do you think or who would you say uh, as a Habs media person that is honest about the team? And uh, I listed two people that I consider to be under that category or that criteria of like what I think to be honest, which is not cherry picking stuff and being more straightforward about the reality of the team. Yeah. And I picked Brian Brian Wild, who often writes, you know, 
more critical, more, he's not figure pointing, there's no targeting of any one individual, but it's more of an organizational thing. Uh, and Tony Marinaro on TSM 690, who occasionally goes on on really funny, uh, loud, uh, heartfelt rants. You know? But even Tony, he usually ends those rants with, you know, well, if I keep my job, if I'm not fired, uh, I'll be back after this commercial kind of thing which kind of says a lot in itself. So there's always, there's good people around. There's no doubt about it. Um, Arpan Basu is terrific. And then the conversation we had was based on the, the question that I threw out on Twitter. Who do you think is more honest? You know, Somehow it ended up to him and he kind of responded to me and I wasn't pointing him out at all. But I kind of talked to him about the fact that, you know, when... Kokaniemi was was drafted here, the number three overall pick. Under the reality of what the Montreal Canadiens are, you know, uh, a team that's has been in desperate, desperate kind of uh, level when it comes to searching for a center. So this kid comes. You know, we have the number three pick because we absolutely suck as a team. So we have the number three pick overall. We pick this kid has a decent kind of first year. Now he's back in Laval, and before he even played a training game in Montreal, you know, Arvin Basso was in Finland interviewing him with his family, and what that does, in my mind, is it, it creates a mythology, you know, it creates something tangible that doesn't, is not really merited yet, you know, it's kind of premature, and it also puts a lot of pressure on an 18-year-old in Montreal ridiculous amounts of pressure not only for the kid but for the kid under the reality of you know we're a pretty conservative organization you know the coaches we tend to bring here are pretty conservative they're going to tend to go with the veterans over the young kids if the young kids make makes a mistake it's going to be you know Claude's going to shrug his shoulders turn his head you know that little disapproval is gonna you know be and for a kid that is a confidence shaker that there's not many young players that have bad games, get that reaction from coaches, and still come back stronger the next game. There's there's some of them, but there's not a lot of them, you know. So within that reality, it was a lot of pressure on it. You know, so we had I had that conversation with Arpin. You know, he's a really respectable guy, and I think he's a terrific writer. He writes for the Athletic. If you if you guys want to check him out, and there's other people too within the Montreal media landscape that are terrific at what they do. Uh, Francois Gagnon on the French side, he's really smart really wise he understands his hockey uh, he tends to play I enjoy him because he's just interesting to listen to but he's also part of the, the French uh, media that cherry picks things never attacks the French um, management whether it's the coach or the GM if anybody attacks the French management and points it out to him he'll make a comparison like Mark Bergevin, well, he'll compare him to David Poyle, you know, took David Poyle a long time, you know, 20 years to get a team to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then you kind of point out to him, yeah, but David Poyle took over two expansion teams, you know, two teams that never existed before. We're talking about the Montreal Canadiens here, you know, it's not, so he'll make these comparisons which don't really hold water, but I kind of see why he does it, but that's the part of this podcast is kind of about that kind of energy as well you know that kind of let's not really 
point the fingers at what's really important kind of thing you know so there's always a good part and there's there's really good french people also who are honest there's um antichambre you know there's good parts of antichambre there's not so good parts of antichambre you know and um there's uh you know it's good there's bad and there's the ugly well i'll be back in a couple of seconds with some more thoughts to sum up my thoughts on Habs Media. I would only have one thing to say. I think we've all come to the same understanding. I think we're all standing on the same platform. We're all there. Even the anglophones, we get it. We have no problem with it anymore. If it's going to be a French coach and a French GM, That's fine. You know, we'll try to do our own thing. We'll try to do the Quebecois thing. It's going to be much harder. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be much, much harder. And a lot of it is a lot of crossing your fingers and hoping that the right person is there at the right time. But the only thing that I could maybe honestly offer as a suggestion moving forward if we all kind of agree that we're all living under this reality now is to at least be honest you know if Mark Bergevin or whoever the GM is at the time or Claude Julien or whoever the coach is at the time let's not get bogged down on the English-French thing let's try to focus on the job thing let's try to focus on the merit thing let's try to focus on is this team moving forward thing let's try to remember what the important thing is for everybody here is that we all go back down to uh, St. Catherine and uh, Peel or wherever they're going to have it who knows with all those zoning laws and potholes but we all get together one day in the summertime or late spring And we celebrate something like we used to. And uh, the young generation makes a connection with the older generation. It's important we do that. It's important we cross, uh, we pass that torch. It's nice to pass it uh, figuratively, you know. But we got to pass it from generation to generation. And so the only thing that that I would say to everybody whoever might be listening to this podcast, if anybody listens to this podcast who happens to be media and French media, and you know who you are, be honest, you know? If the guy who was a GM is not doing a very good job, just say, the guy's not doing a very good job. Time to find a new French guy. Nobody has a problem with that. But we're all kind of hesitant because we've created a situation for ourselves where we're kind of limited. So... There's not many guys out there. So maybe instead of cherry picking a whole bunch of stuff, 
we start saying, you know, who else would be a good candidate? We start having those conversations, you know. It doesn't always have to be the Patrick Wong. Is Patrick Wong coming? It's like there's only one guy who exists, you know. I'm sure there's other people. Throw those names in the ring. Let people start talking about those people, you know. Let the guys who are in charge, who are not doing a very good job, and anybody who tells you they're doing a good job is selling you something. And、uh, yeah, let those guys who are in charge feel the pressure. You know, in any other market, if your team is failing and、uh, your owner is serious about winning, there's usually pressure. You know, accountability. So my message to the media as a fan, as a longtime fan, is be a little more honest. And I don't mean. You're being dishonest. Just be a little more honest with what the stuff you pick to talk about is on a failing organization. And、uh, I think that pretty much sums up this episode. I don't want to sit here and、uh, get angry and、uh, target people. That's kind of boring. So、um, I'm gonna play you guys out. With a little Bruce Springsteen, the boss, one of my first heroes growing up, a song called "Jungle Land." See you next week, people. Have a good one. And.
beneath the city Two hearts beat Soul engines running through a night so tender In a bedroom locked In whispers of soft Refusal And then Surrender In the tunnels uptown The rats on dream guns him down The shots echo down them hallways in the night No one watches and the ambulance pulls away Or as the girl shuts out the bedroom light Outside the streets on fire in a real death waltz Between what's flesh and what's fantasy Jungle Land 